Now is the best time to try Audible Plus because with our holiday offer, you're getting our best offer of the year. Only $4.95 a month on your first six months. After your first six months, it's still only $7.95 a month to download and stream thousands of all-you-can-listen audiobooks, originals, and podcasts included in the Audible Plus plan. You'll get full access to thousands of titles across different formats, and you can download or stream without limit. And you can listen offline, anytime, anywhere. Visit audible.com slash new year or text new year to 500-500. What a After months and months of a global pandemic, finally we have something to be truly miserable about. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We have civil unrest. We have a global pandemic. Tragedy everywhere. But finally, finally the football is back to remind us what true misery is all about because it comes back with Arsenal facing Manchester City. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they'll have all gotten fat, pulled hamstrings. We'll just rock up and beat them 10-0, like I say at the every end of every podcast. Wouldn't that be delightful? Uh, a couple of quick housekeeping notes. So we've got this pod for you today. We will have many pods for you leading up. Finally, we can do some content that's actually about football, so that's exciting. Um, we did a review of and dissection of the Last Dance documentary about Jordan and the Bulls yesterday on Patreon. <clears throat> we also released on Patreon an article by Oscar Wood uh, at Riannawal on Twitter. The top 25, statistically speaking, and qualitatively speaking as well, uh, seasons, individual seasons by Arsenal players in the Emirates era. It is a fantastic read. Tons of fun. You don't have to sit and read it all at once. You can take a look at this season or that season, see where it ranks. Um, that is available for patrons right now, and we will be releasing it wide, I believe on Monday is when that's scheduled to release. Uh, so whether you catch it as a patron or you catch it just on our website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, definitely catch it because he did fantastic work on that. Um Okay, enough of that. Let me introduce Tim. You can find him on Twitter, at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. You recently celebrated a birthday, so allow me to say, uh, Feliz Navidad. What, what, what is it in Portuguese? <laughs> Feliz Anaversario. Yeah, Feliz Navidad is Merry Christmas, isn't it, in Spanish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. in Spanish, so, yeah. Feliz Anaversario, that? Yes, yeah. yes. Elliot Butcher's Languages. Come for the glib <laughs> introduction, stay for the butchered languages. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Bonjour. Bonjour, monsieur. Comment ça va? <laughs> Je peux parler un peu de français. C'est vrai. Uh, j'ai étudié français uh, en école et aussi quand j'ai habité à Paris. Uh, if that was French, get in touch on Twitter and let me know. If it wasn't French, I have a friend. You can find him on Twitter at Groover um, who will definitely <clears throat> get in touch and let me know how bad that was. But in any event, now having butchered languages... We're going to talk football. I just want to say briefly, because I know some of you may be aware of this, I live uh, in the center of the United States, originally a New Yorker, but I do live in Minneapolis these days, and obviously if you follow the news, uh, or even if you don't follow the news, you're probably aware of what's going on here, and I, I just do want to say that thankfully uh, my family is safe and well right now, but many families are not, uh, and a big part of our community is very fractured and hurting, and my heart uh, breaks for all of them, and my heart breaks certainly for the violence that, that we've seen and, and the sense of injustice in in certain segments of our community, and I, I think it is just devastating to have reached a point where 
um, a huge section of our society and a valued part of our community feels so abused, mistreated by, and ignored by our country as a whole and their fellow people, uh, that the only way to express that uh, is, is in these kinds of actions. And I certainly won't get into any judgment. It is not my job to judge anybody's behavior. I certainly am not someone who will ever be able to put myself in the situation of, of people who feel that level of injustice, but watching it uh, as I have close by, the sense of pain is palpable. And uh, it's just heartbreaking. And so I, I, you know, I hope for our community to heal, and I certainly hope for justice to be delivered. Um, and at some point, hopefully, for us as, as a community locally, uh, as a nation, as a, as a world in some respects, we can heal and come together. And for this to happen at a time when we're already going through so much with the coronavirus pandemic, it's, it's really just heartbreaking. So some of you have gotten in touch on social media to see how I'm doing. And, you know, that is absolutely the least concern for our community right now. But I do appreciate the sentiment. And, uh, you know, hopefully we will see positive change. I think when it comes to change in society, sometimes it happens peacefully and sometimes it happens forcefully. But However it happens, if it leads to progress, then that's a good thing, and that's what I'll hope for. So in any event, uh, unless, Tim or Clive, you feel the, the interest in weighing in there, we can get to the football. Yeah, let's. Let's. Okay. Clive, good enough? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> mate. We, we, we've had a pre-podcast already talking yeah. about this, haven't yeah. we? And it's a, it's a very sad situation, but it's, it's just another manifestation of the division across the, around the world at the moment and, and how that's highlighted and how that comes across. And there's lots of division over here in the UK as well, particularly around political views and our, the government's reaction to coronavirus. And obviously in the US, you have a colourful leader that's um, colourful his language, even to the point where he's threatening Twitter at the moment. So mm. He is, the, he is just, Blog's angriest man on Twitter. <laughs> it's the yeah. president of the United States. Kind of funny. This, is, this, it's, it's, I'm, this has been happening for many, 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 many years, but maybe without being glib about this because a lot of the things that we care about this podcast and, and the listeners care about is about sport and we can throw ourselves into sport and it can add as a slight deflection on occasions and but what's happening right now i don't think sport could cover this anyway and make mm. us feel more balanced it's just a, a a period in our lives a period in our generation lives that we will look back and say 2020 what a year that was it's almost like the repeat in 1968 and lots of things happened in with, with um, Kennedy and Martin Luther King and mm. Vietnam. It's a period in our world's history, particularly U.S. history, that was um, never to be forgotten. And I think this is another one of those years, and hopefully we'll look back at it one day in a much better place than we are today. Well, and if you want to expand your mind about sort of um, protests and, and how protests evolve for, from peaceful to maybe less peaceful, uh, Martin Luther King wrote, wrote uh, some letters from the Birmingham jail I think it was Birmingham jail, right? Um, yeah. That are really illuminating and, and express some uh, opinions about protest and about change that really resonate with what's happening right now. So, <clears throat> you know, we'll hope for, again, for eventually peace to uh, wash over our community, but in doing so, maybe bring some lasting change. And I, I realize that that's sort of a platitude, but without getting too much into the issues, I think it's it's best to leave it there. So, We'll hope for that. Um, what we now have, though, is the kind of tribalism and, and separation that we we like, which is between football supporters. Um, and the football is back June 17th. One way or another, uh, we're going to be back to football. And I, I want to ask you just candidly, Tim, mm. right now, top of your head, 
any idea where we are on the table, how many games we have left, what's up for grabs, <laughs> what, how far we are off top four. Like, to what extent are you able to plug yourself back into the things that we all could have rattled off in our sleep mm. not two months ago? I mean, how, how plugged back into this are you ready to be? And, and to what extent will you be able to reconnect with what's at stake? Yeah, so I remember that we're ninth and we're in the FA Cup quarterfinal. I can't remember how many points we are off the top four. Although, to be quite honest, I might not have been able to tell you that, say, like the day after the West Ham game, the last game anyway, because um, generally I don't even look at the table until after Christmas. And this year, because <laughs> because of where we've been in the table, I've, I've, not, I've just not really looked at it that much. Um, you know, it's all very well if you're actually going for something. Um, but we we have we've been in mid table all year, so it's it's not really been worth looking at. Um, to what extent am I ready to plug back in? Um, yeah, now, now it's now there's a date on it, a provisional date, albeit we should say. But now there's like a date on it, and we know what the first game's going to be, and when the FA Cup games are going to be, and when it's down to finish and all of that. Um, it's yeah, it it, and I've always thought that this would happen that once it started like creaking back round the corner i'd be ready to kind of re-engage with with the here and now like i you know i haven't obviously haven't disengaged with the game of football altogether um because i'm in the business of producing football content so or just sometimes um, content that's adjacent to football yeah 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 or just like tangentially linked uh, to football so like i haven't and, and even if i wasn't i wouldn't be able to switch off from football it's such a big part of my life but as for like the here and now of the premier league um, like, to be honest, even with the end of the Premier League season, I, I kind of just consider it like I'm I'm quite excited about it because it feels quite low stakes um, because we're not really expecting anything. And even stuff like, oh, do we get into Europe next year? Like that feels slightly less significant, first of all, because, um, you know, the current situation around the world just kind of hardwires you with a bit of additional perspective anyway. Um, also because it feels like we've kind of got nothing at the moment, so we've got nothing to lose. But also because I just I don't understand how European competition is going to work next season anyway. And there's actually like I, I still know that this is bad for the club. But when I put that to one side, I'm actually really glad we're out of the Europa League because I've got no idea how that's going to work. Um, you know, they're talking about doing it all in August and then the season starting again in September yeah, no. and actually <laughs> having like that. I know they've just been off for a couple of months, but it doesn't strike me as and, and it's probably unavoidable, but it doesn't strike me as great to have like three months off and then immediately go into like a never ending two and a half year season. Like mm. it would still be a good idea to have a, a beneficial rather to have a gap there, I think. So, and and just the logistics of it and all of that, just thinking blood, like bloody hell, like, you know, it's, it's the last 16, I think of the Europa league. There's still like, you know, there's still three knockout ties in the final to play. And I, and you know, I, I don't think I could get invested um, in that. It's, it's hard to invest in Europa League at the best of times. But to me, I, I'm, I'm quite invested in the FA Cup and the league games. I'm just kind of thinking, I'm almost just um, regarding this as like an extended pre-season where there's a, a little bit on the line, certainly, but there's some things Arteta can do trying to remodel for next season. I, d I don't think there's going to be an awful lot of transfer business um, whenever the window opens. I, I think we're kind of, we might lose a couple of players. We might get 
like a a couple of loans in or something or a couple of freebies i, I don't think things are going to materially change so or not drastically anyway so what he does with these last i think it's nine games i'm really interested in because i think he can really set the template for next season um but like in in terms of like emotional engagement in it this to me feels like um like a world cup or something because it's only going to last like five six weeks we're going to have like the last few games in a short period of time bit of fa cup and then bang it goes away again for a little while Mm. for me it's more about next season how engaged do people feel in that because at the moment i think everyone's or most people will be in a place where they're kind of happy to have football back a lot of people still housebound so kind of just sitting in the house and watching football all day is uh, you know seems like quite an attractive option um and then it, it it comes and it goes quite quickly but for me it's the beginning of next season um, I, I wonder where a lot of people will be when it still starts behind closed doors and you've got the start of this like slog of a season and you don't know what it's going to look like like halfway through. Because we know we know what we've got now, right? We know we've got six weeks. They're all behind closed doors. It all comes quickly. But like even at the beginning of next season, we're not going to know what next season really truly looks like. Yeah. And there might be further delays. So th- that to me is where perhaps... Um, the kind of you get a little bit more of an emotional um like you feel a bit more compromised i guess yeah and i mean i think the the thing i don't really understand is this is usually a time of year june july when players futures are being sorted out you know whether it's committing yourself longer term to the club or moving on you know re-signing short term or going into the final year of your deal whatever the case may be clive how does a player you know maybe someone like Yang, for example who might have been getting sold this summer. How does that player get invested emotionally in this sort of little half-hearted attempt to finish a season, given that you know this would be the time you'd be protecting your body and readying yourself to maybe move on, get sold, get a new contract, whatever the case may be? I mean, how, how are contracts even going to be handled? Are, are, do we even have an answer about... Because most contracts run through June and end July 1st, right? So, I mean, what... How do the players balance the need to give their all for the club, you know, quote unquote, with minding their future, which at, at Arsenal right now is quite a lot of players? Yeah, I'm not sure the exact detail, but I believe there's some sort of um, extensions, three-month extensions being put in place across Europe. And maybe I may be wrong on that. I've read so much stuff on this. I'm not sure where it finally ended up because not all leagues had a start date. And our start day only come out two, one, two days ago. So, how can you line things up? Obviously, France have taken their turn. The league has taken their turn. So, obviously, Germany's already started. So, that's the league that most people, you know, really, really care about. So, contractually, I wouldn't worry too much about that situation because it's not just the Premier League that's going to suffer for that. I think, for me, I think Aubameyang and players like that. They they will be invested because they are they are sportsmen and they are sportsmen and not being able to do what they like doing. They're sportsmen that live by routine, live in groups, have their mini minarsals like a like a family to them, right? For some of those players, they see they see each other six days a week, and they've not been able to be in close contact. So that's all back together again. I don't see it as a motivation. I don't think every player come towards the last year of their contract will suddenly be demotivated. If anything, this situation potentially gives them an opportunity to say, well. There's so much uncertainty around, I'm not going to sign. And basically, I want to go on a free. And then it really does 
create a situation where you're trying to sell a player which has a, has a huge price tag a little while ago, attention to a market which is devalued, and that where the issues that's where the issues become. To us, will say, well, actually, we're not going to get much from him anyway. But next year, potentially, we keep him, we can get into the Champions League, and then we let him go. They may make that decision. It's very difficult to make those decisions right now until we know where we are this year and know where we are next year. And I think it's very difficult. But what I will say, you know, following on from some of what Tim was talking about, was that I do feel really positive about football starting again. I felt really positive about what was happening beforehand. I remember how I felt. I really like some of the noises coming out of the playing side of the club and seeing the players and seeing how they're talking about the manager. I find that really exciting. I had not given up on the season. I do remember where we are to fifth place per se. That's only four points away. And, you know, I do know we've got a game to hand on Spurs and we're one point behind. And I do know they had heart, they had a terrible situation going on and we were going to overtake them very, very quickly. But that game had is against Man City, which, we, which we'll soon find out. But there's some pictures floating around around Kevin De Bruyne and he's got a stomach looking like mine, which is not a good thing. So basically we're in a situation where we're going into football but not as we know it. But every club will be saying to themselves, and every fan base will be saying, I bet our club is the best prepared club when they go back. I bet we're going to smash it. You know, And uh, I think that's going to be interesting to see who is really prepared. Because what's what's been shown in Germany is that some of the teams look fitter and better than some of the others. And it would be mm, very yep. interesting for German watchers. So actually, if this game was played in normal times, the result would have been different. You know, I haven't got that feeling, but it'd be very interesting to see what happens when we all get back to um, that level playing field. Yeah, I, I'm sort of torn on this because, I mean, obviously I'm super excited for the football to come back and I can't wait to watch it. And at the same time, I'm struggling to feel connected to what we're pursuing and the stakes are huge. I mean, obviously, if we could somehow claw back top four, you know, I, that, I mean, that was always a distant prospect but you just have no idea. I mean, look, we could come back and our players could be more professional and fitter and readier and some of the other top four chasers could be less professional and less committed and suddenly we look like one of the best teams in the league just because of circumstance. It could go the other way. You have no way. I mean, I I think, Tim, the problem with what they're doing by finishing the season is they've changed the dynamic of the competitiveness of the season. Mm. Now, look. I'm not blaming anybody here. They didn't have a choice. It's not like they could have kept going. But how how much sense does it make to finish a season where the circumstances by which you are competing in the last stage of games is so divorced from the circumstance by which the season was created? Because, like, for example, right, you know how, like, Arsenal had a couple years where we were calendar champions? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, we were the best at the end of a season and the best. Like, like, there's a reason that everybody laughs at that doesn't mean anything because calendar champions isn't a thing. But what it is a reminder of is that, like, human performance isn't on a season schedule. And the way a season narrative is written is written during a, a period of time where injuries play a role, um, the way the fixtures pile up plays a role. Um, the weather plays a role. So how how much do you think? I mean, I, I am sort of of the opinion that what we are participating in this June is essentially a different season. It bears no mm. resemblance to the competitive state of play that we're picking up from. So I, it feels like nonsense to me. that. And again, I, I'm not criticizing because they didn't have a choice. But I, I, I do mm. sort of feel that finishing the season is a nonsense in that you are not finishing the state of play that you were in when you stopped. You were starting a new thing that will be... I mean, if I told you Arsenal were going to win the league next season, you'd say, well, anything could happen. 
This is basically a next season. Anything could happen, and it is not a continuation of the competitive landscape that we just completed. No, it's not. Um, and, you're, and, and yeah, it is a nonsense, frankly, but um, I still think it's less of a nonsense than the alternatives. Sort of like um, writing down in a room who finished where and just <laughs> deciding, yeah. <laughs> deciding that or drawing like, lots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or like, um, you know, you're, the, the arguments you just made all apply to points per game um, if you go with that. And if you void it, um, that that to me, I, I just think we're too far in to do that. If we were in, and, and obviously, look, we all know what underlies this as well, underpins it. We all know it's like TV money, and that's that's not insignificant as well. That's not me kind of just saying, oh, it's just about the bloody money. It's like, well, yeah, of course it is, because that's how the world works. Um, biz- businesses need money. Um, to operate uh, that that's that kind of goes without saying so yes it is about the money and um, you know if if that presents an issue um, and I kind of understand if it does then um, you know uh, be active in I don't know in the, the socialist movement or the communist movement because that's the system we've got so so yeah it, it basically it is a nonsense but I I I just think it's slightly less of a nonsense than than the alternatives, perhaps. And and I think really, a lot of people have missed the point by focusing on the Liverpool thing. And look, as fans, we are quite entitled to find it a bit funny that Liverpool's big moment is going to come like as a massive anti-climax. Um, and it really is like, I I feel like quite sanguine about this whole thing because. If there was one season for Arsenal for this to happen, but like this is the season where we're we're mid table, we're not really going for anything. We might, you know, we might be able to like, you know, pull something out the bag at the end, but it's kind of not expected at the moment. And actually this might even work in, you know, work to our advantage because, you know, we've got like the new manager bounce or whatever. But um but largely, like if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd you know I wouldn't be angry because there's nothing you can do about it. But I'd be thinking, fucking hell, this should be like the greatest season of my football supporting life. Like, imagine if the Invincible season was just like shit canned in March. No, it's de- it's <laughs> devastating. I mean, we laugh about it for obvious reasons because of tribal you know, yeah, hashtag yeah. tribalism. But yeah, it's devastating. But let me ask you something. I mean. Do you think we will fall, and I'll come right back to you, Clive, I apologize, but do you think we'll fall right back into the euphoria and the misery? Do you think Liverpool fans, you know, when they win two more games and the title is theirs, will will have that release? Or do you think it's just going to feel hollow? I, I think it will feel a little bit hollow for them. Um, you know, obviously they'll be happy, but like obviously it's going to be diluted, not least because it's going to be done quite quickly. Um, as well and I almost feel like if there was a struggle when they did it at the end that would be more but like it's the inevitable right and and this is the point sorry I was trying to come to until I went off on a tangent <laughs> like the, the the Liverpool thing is the least interesting in terms of like unless you're a Liverpool fan because it is like the most foregone of foregone conclusions and even if you'd taken like the opportunity the, the option to just say right we're not playing the rest of the games nobody in their right mind could complain if they if like they said look we're not going to play the rest of the games but Liverpool you're the champions like no, no one could argue with that and and that that's like why well, it's the least important part of all of this that the kind of I guess the important part is I have to say I'm going to feel really fucking sorry for whoever finishes 18th it's going to suck for them and it's not going to be fair 
and they'll complain and they'll have a right to complain. But at the same time, I just kind of think it's unavoidable. Well, especially and, you know, what if it's a team that just can't get its act together after this? Maybe three players yeah. test positive, and they're their striker, yeah. they're you know, and they're two central defenders, and they don't win a game in the rest of this run, and they would have yeah. been safe. I mean, yeah, you, you never know, right? <laughs> and it's like I I, I did a um, a podcast yesterday with uh, someone about the the Frauenbundesliga, so the German Women's League, which they've got up and running again, and there's a team in that. And, um, you know, Germany kind of run along federal lines and they, they're from an area, they're fighting relegation and they're from an area that doesn't, that isn't allowing um, them to train, but they have to play their games. Oh my God. So, so they're in this situation where they're not allowed to train and they're not allowed to play at home, but they've got to play their games. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's going to create like this situation. It's going to like, we've kind of not solved but we've listed all the problems we spent the last two months listing all the problems and slowly come up with you know imperfect solutions for them but there are going to be other ones um you know and stuff like uh, in the bundesliga at the moment i don't think this is unforeseen to be fair but the amount of injuries like that's going to happen oh, there are going to be, be a terrible, lot more injuries yeah. and that's going to create like a real inequality um, mm. I, but then again, inequality exists in the Premier League anyway. Um, you know and it's an institutionalized inequality. So, sorry, you know where I think it'll be exaggerated, yeah, yeah. Tim? I, I, I think, I've always wondered how does a mid-table team get up for a late season game? But now I really yeah. want, like, I think the teams that feel they have something to play for, like getting into the Champions League, and the teams at the bottom clawing for their life, will look more like football teams. And I think everybody else will look like they're just for a kickabout on a Sunday afternoon. Because yeah. what the hell cause would they have to really put it on the line. But as we've seen, and I really believe this, when athletes, professional athletes, actually go half speed, I think you get more injuries. I think you get worse tackles, sloppier tackles, more you know muscle tweaks than when they're really playing at peak performance. So Clive, you're our, you're our professional coach. Um, as a coach, how challenging will it be to get a performance out of these players? And you know what do you think the level, the standard of competition will look like in terms of, you know, not really just quality, but application as well. Well, did you see the ball, uh, the Bayern Dortmund game last week? Did you see that? I, I missed it. Get to see I, it. I heard it was fantastic, though. Well, yeah. I mean, as soon as that that game, you weren't lo- you weren't looking at the crowd, you weren't looking around, you were just looking at the top class intensity, that ball popping around, moving around. In some ways, the, the no sound. You can almost see the quality, see the skill, see who strikes the ball perfectly, the way to pass. And that was two teams that I admire but don't support. You know, And the application was there. Bayern knew it was a huge game. They knew they could knock them out and win the league on that game. And, and it looked like it. And I didn't see any lack of application. I watched RB Leipzig at the weekend, didn't do so well in midweek. Similar quality, similar intensity, similar application. And I, I sort of don't quite agree with you about people not playing, you know, right? Because people will play. They will play properly. If I look at the league, anything down to us, really, will ninth is looking upward. And then you look at anything down from Brighton downward, they are going to be playing for their lives. So you've got a team, you've got Southampton, Newcastle, Everton, Palace, Burnley. They're probably sitting there thinking, well, you know what? We ain't got much to play for. Everyone else has got something to play for. Where it be European places because of the Man City situation, potentially 50th Champions League. So 
from us upwards, they've got to be thinking about that. And the bottom six, they've got everything to play for. I mean, I look at some of the numbers around Norwich and their, their underlying metrics, their numbers are fantastic and they're sitting four points adrift from Aston Villa, who are also not a bad team. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be more exciting than you actually realise because there's jeopardy involved. People are going to go down and people are going to come up. And so you have to play. Right, there's still something at the end of it. As soon as we start to see the players that we know, the players that we care about, the players that we have a history with, as soon as we start to see our players, we're going to start to judge them exactly the same way. How they're developing, how they're playing with less pressure of a crowd, how are they playing for next season, what we're going to, who we're going to keep, who we're going to get rid of. I think all of those same emotions will come back the moment we see the team that we know. I, I don't think. I think maybe we've forgotten how much we love it and how we feel mm. when our team is playing. I'm telling you, mate, the moment we see it, we're going to be back in the room and back fully invested almost immediately. I don't like fighting with you, so I'm not going to push back on this point, but I will just make the comment that I, I don't understand how you love watching our team play. <laughs> you say how much we love watching well, the team. I don't know. To be fair, since Arteta arrived, yes, but for, for about the yeah, 16 months I, prior I, I to that, think, not so much. Uh, yeah, I think... You know what? I I look back to some of the Emory era when I was really defending how some of the things we were watching, because I'm a, I, I naturally want to defend the club and defend the team. But I look, some of those games, I love rewatching games, and I I don't want to I don't want to rewatch some of those games. I actually didn't like it. I don't know. But now I look at this because it feels more united. I like it again. I really like it, and I'm quite disappointed that fans are going to be not in the ground for a period next year because I really want to start going a lot more because I really like the feeling and I'm hoping when we do come back that I'm right about that and we see a continuation of what we saw from the last four, five or six games when, before the, the lockdown. Yeah. Um, well, so let, let me ask you this real quick, Tim. Um, and, and then I do want to get into some player issues. I, I think we should talk about Saka and, and David Luiz, but um, just before we do that, do you think... Given that it is hard to pick up the narrative of a season after such a long layoff, do you think it's easier to pick up the narrative of a knockout tournament? And in that respect, is it possible that the FA Cup will actually feel more present, more relevant, more urgent, more exciting? I mean, I'm not just saying that because we're in it. Hashtag, I am just saying that because we're in it. But like, I mean, in the sense that a season is long and it's supposed to be this continuum. And when you break up the continuum, is it really the same season? It may not feel like it. Whereas a knockout tournament is short bursts of competition where everything's on the line in every single game. So, I mean, do do you think this could benefit us with the FA cup and make that feel more, you know, more like a, a serious competition? So for us, so for a lot of the teams still left in it who aren't playing for anything else, like I, I think you can put Arsenal loosely into that category. Um, yes, I, I think what's really interesting. I think they've missed a massive opportunity to make the FA Cup like a one-week affair at the end of the season. I really thought that was what they were going to do to give it that that sense of importance and to just give it its own space. Because one of the things that I think has really, really taken away from the cup, it's not just the prize money, I don't think, that means clubs don't take it seriously, etc., etc. I I think that basically it's it's more of a psychological thing for fans because because the attendances are terrible now at cup games. And that's also partly because of how 
a lot of clubs structure season tickets where they either don't include them or you have to buy them separately or whatever. Um, but but fans just aren't invested in them. And I think the reason for that is not just because, you know, teams play like reserve teams or whatever. I, I think it's because the the psychological space that the cup used to occupy has been taken over by other things. So one of the things I think that's really kind of been damaging for it is the January transfer window. In kind of old money, January was like FA Cup month. It's like FA Cup third and fourth round when you get someone that you usually never play. You might be like away at Yeovil or something Mm. and it's really exciting and it's different and it just breaks up the kind of, I guess, the not the monotony, that's that's too strong a word, but it, it just breaks up the kind of the diet of the regular season. It's just something a little bit different. But that's been broken down now because now, you know, football and particularly the Premier League, what the Premier League has done really successfully is turn itself into a soap opera where it's a 24-7 concern. Now, it's not just it's not just when the games happen. In fact, when the games happen, it's almost like when there's the least noise, it's everything around it and it's so all consuming. So I think a couple of things have happened with the cup. January transfer window has just taken over. Um in terms of like the early rounds of the cup and like the semi-finals of the league cup, those have gone out the window now. No one cares about them because everyone's talking about transfers. But now that like football is like a, you know, the, the Premier League has successfully turned itself into this 24-7 concern. People just don't have the bandwidth for a cup as well. Um, you know, the fact that we're playing, you know, maybe away at Yeovil in January is now kind of seen as an inconvenience and not something as that's, that's exciting. And like the FA Cup final, though it's not the event it used to be, it still picks up massive audiences. And that's largely because it's in in the UK, it's still on free to air TV. And in the UK, when a game is on free to air TV, and we will see this because there are four, there are four Premier League games that are going to be on the BBC. You watch how much, how much bigger the audience is when it's on free to air TV. It makes mm-hmm. an enormous difference, an enormous difference to the amount of people watching it and engaging in it. Um, and, and the FA Cup final still has that, even though it is now just one of a series of games that is on and not the main event anymore. But I, I think the FA Cup, I think they've missed a massive opportunity to rip up the rule book and to say, right, this is an opportunity now anything goes because everything's fucked up let you know let's do let's do it all in seven days at the end of the season and make the fa cup the only thing that is happening but instead they've slotted it in so they've slotted in the quarterfinal at some point in june or july i think uh yeah i think they've got the quarterfinals in june the semis in july and then the final in august and, and again the final um, because it will be the final game. We will still have that kind of prevalence, but I, th- I think they've missed an enormous opportunity to do something a bit different with it and give it that prevalence back. And like you say, because like the structure and the rhythm of the season has been broken, it's really easy to pick something like the FA Cup back up again as a mini tournament um, and, and really, really kind of invest in it emotionally, almost like an international tournament. Um, but they haven't done that. And, um, you know, I don't know why that is. I don't I wouldn't be too surprised if the Premier League have been deliberately obstructive and blocked yeah, that because yeah, they don't want competition with their quote unquote product. 
Um, so, so unfortunately, I don't think it really will, except in maybe the specific case of Arsenal fans and Sheffield United fans. And, you know, even Leicester are still in it. They're going for top four. But I think Newcastle are still in it and they're probably all right relegation wise. So except for those teams, unfortunately, I, I think it will be because they've decided to do exactly the same thing that they always do. I think you'll get exactly the same result, unfortunately. Yeah, far be it from them to use this opportunity to get creative. Um Clive, with respect to player issues, the Aubameyang thing has taken up a lot of attention, but the Saka thing is, without a doubt, more important to the future of the club. Um, there were some noises on social media that looked pretty good, but we haven't heard anything. Where do you stand on Saka's future and, and what you think the club will do? And if if we were to somehow lose him, I mean, is that sackable for Raul? Is that, I mean, how devastating is that? Where where do you stand on sort of the the urgency of getting that resolved and how important it is to the club vis-a-vis building for the future? I think in a normal year, this would be done by now. This is not a normal year. And I don't sense the stress around it like other people do. I just think they will do it when the time's right and the time isn't right at the moment because everything's shifted forward by a couple of months. So uh, it's a bit worrying because you're thinking, Crikey, he's really good and we want to see him develop. We don't want to see him develop elsewhere. But being funny, if if he was to leave at this period where he's actually, why would he leave then? If I'm asking you, if he's not playing or he's not in the right position or he's not getting the minutes in the first team, I mean, he's young enough to be moved around a bit. He's been successful where he's moved around. His well, numbers I'll give you the good. answer. It would be a Sterling situation, right? I mean, everyone said Sterling was greedy for going to City, and you know what? Turns out he went and became a better player, and his career exploded, and he made a ton of... I mean, they're earning, they're, their earning years are short, right? and if someone's going to offer him double what we will, he's going to take it, period. He's just going to take it. Yeah, look, I, I, I don't see it, personally. I hope, I no, I hope, of course, yeah, of course. He, he's not we're, not, we're not talking about Raheem Sterling, who was on 100 plus and then went for 200 in a, in, a, in a few years down the line. It's this three, four year conversation to compare and compete. It's a guy that's on three or five grand and I want to get him to 35 grand as an 18 year old. That's not right, going to so, do it. Like, can we be clear? Uh, that's maybe, not, maybe it's going to need to be 80. It, that's my worry is that the well, club is going to think they can just pay him, you know, they can just give him a nice bump. He's going to need to be paid like well, a star now, unfortunately. Well, he needs to be paid. Uh, he needs to be, He needs to have a sliding scale. You know, there needs to be, okay, we're going to give you this, and you're going to get this. He's still 18. If you look at the young boy at Chelsea, Callum Hudson-Odoi, I think he signed up 100 and something plus, 150 grand a week at 18, 19 to keep him out of Bayern Munich's hands. He's gone completely off the rails. Completely off but the rails. But wasn't he injured a, for like, 16 months he was, or he, he was injured for like eight, nine months, okay. but he's come back, not back, got back in the team. He's, he's obviously struggling with uh, other players that are taking his position. They've just bought another guy from, from Zayek from Ajax. Mm. They got the, they got, you know, they've got players there in his position and he's suddenly now trapped for four, for four years plus on big money and he's not playing the game and he's getting distracted and it's a real shame. It's something we need to manage. I don't see something that's going to go wrong. If it goes wrong, I think it'd be a huge blow. I'm not just saying, oh, that's not, I think it'd be a massive blow because I see Arsenal as a club where young players want to be and if you look at our squad and its profile 
the future of this club is with the young players and the players that we're, we're mid-table at the moment with young players getting lots of minutes. We'll see the benefit of that in the next 18 months for the period where we're actually playing them right now. And that's to come. It's such a shame if those young players are getting minutes, they're playing, the pathway's clear, and they decide to leave. If they decide to leave, that tells you something about this manager. I'll tell you something about this board. And I, and I think on both angles, although the manager particularly, I think that's what really counts. We have a coach who's a developmental coach, and I think he will keep these young players, no problem. Keep the ones he wants to keep or lose the ones he needs to lose. And so I don't see it a problem. Now, I'll look back and say, with Unai Emery, who I don't think had all the players in his top pocket, then we could start, I'll be a little bit more concerned because I think that senior players weren't convinced by him, particularly towards the end, after Baku. They weren't convinced by him. They questioned him. And that filters down to young players and it influences them. And young players tell you exactly what's going on when they decide to stay or go. So if he goes, it's a message that we're not doing something right within the club. But I expect him to stay because I think there's a much better things happening, particularly on the coaching and playing side. Yeah, you have to keep this player. You have to keep this young, this core of young talent, because especially with the the COVID situation and what it's going to do to the global economy and the football economy. I mean, that could actually. I mean, not not to turn tragedy into a benefit. That's not how I'm saying it, but I'm saying it like that that the the economics of the situation could benefit Arsenal in the sense that where we otherwise would be disadvantaged because we can't go into the market and buy the stars. I mean, we still can't do that. Having young talent at your club that is a comparative advantage. I mean, it could feel like a bigger advantage when clubs are cash strapped because I think there may be less movement at the top tier. You know, the teams may not splash 80 million, 90 million, hundred million to get a superstar anymore. And that means they may rely more on what's already at the club. And and in that respect, I think long-term we would be in a pretty good position. Um, I'd be very curious to see what happens. I mean, that's the thing, Tim, like we're all excited about the football right now. We're kind of ignoring the fact that the landscape of football, the business, who knows what mm. it's going to look like. And we're sort of, mm. we're going through with the games so that the clubs can get their TV money, right? Essentially, let's be honest, mm-hmm. um, to try to restore some semblance of a football economy for next season. But we don't know what that's going to look like. Um, and, and that's going to be the next part of it. I mean, with no gate receipts, Arsenal takes a huge hit from that and that's going to impact our business. So any any speculation mm-hmm. about how we're going to behave as a club is almost pointless because... I just think there's going to be a total freeze of of spending. Um, yeah, and so we'll have you know we'll have to see how that plays out. But that does make it all the more important to hold on to your players. And it makes me wonder to some extent about the decision to cut loose a David Luiz. Um, it saves us some money. I don't think he's been particularly great. Although under Arteta, I thought he had a bit of a renaissance. Um, where do you stand on the decision to just cut him loose after uh, one pretty uneven season? Uh- so I, I mean, as I understand it, that decision hasn't been taken yet. But um, they they've not. I mean, if if you're at the end of May and a contract runs out in the end of June and you're not you're not quite talking about extending it, then you know that I think that's that's very much on, on the cards. Although I, one thing I will say is just like following, I guess all clubs um, across this period, I don't think many new contracts have been signed anywhere um, in the last couple of months. Um, even though you'd think that clubs have the time and the bandwidth to do them, um, there's not a lot of negotiating going on, I don't think, for the reasons you say. Like, clubs just don't know how much money they're going to have um, going forward. With, like, with Louise, um, if we do end up making that determination that he go, 
Um, I, I completely understand it. Like on balance in an ideal world, he's possibly the last, well, not quite the last, but one of the last defenders I'd get rid of. Um, you know, you've got Socrates there, who was another short-term signing, clearly doesn't really fit what Arteta wants. Mustafi, I, I think, you know, despite his relative renaissance, still needs to go because he's gonna he's got one year left and we're not giving him a new contract. So really, that's a kind of take what you can get and run um, kind of thing. Um, and so it, it kind of depends what's happening back there because what's really interesting about Arsenal's defence is that there's lots of players there, but I don't think there's an awful lot of players that, that Mikel Arteta or, or a lot of other people would be too sad to see go. So it might just be a case of how this shakes out because, you know, if, say, Mustafi and Socrates go, then there'd be a much bigger case for keeping David Luiz. Um, but, you know, the, the thing is with the Luiz signing, right, is that, Again, it was a short-term signing, a bit like Socrates was. It was a tide over. There was never, ever any prospect of it being more than two years. And the current financial situation means it might have to be one. And, and you know, he's on good money. Uh, uh, one of the things I think that I'm not sure if it's been overlooked, but people don't realise, he signed a new contract at Chelsea two months before he left. So after the Europa League final, once it was determined that Chelsea were in the Champions League, again, he signed a new deal for two years. So to get him, Arsenal had to match that deal. So Arsenal had to match Chelsea, we're in the top four pre-COVID money to get him. So that that that's quite big money. And that was kind of... I wouldn't call it a panic buy, but it was an expedient purchase through an agent that we're friendly with. Mm. It was a deal we could do. It, it was an opportunistic deal, effectively. He he kind of wanted to stay in London. He wanted to leave Chelsea. But we had to match a Chelsea Champions League pre-COVID contract to get him. So I completely understand if, given the, the kind of current situation, Arsenal go, well, pff, we can't really do that anymore. And I am I'm certain that even without Champions League qualification, I'm certain that um, without, you know, COVID and the subsequent economics, we'd keep him. I'm certain we would. Um, but, you know, it's it's just not that world anymore. And and frankly, I we haven't had him long enough to greatly miss him, even though I, I do think, like you say, he's been better under Arteta. He's probably one of the few players in the squad that's a leader. I think the thing is with Louise, the reason why you'd keep him in an ideal world is because, yes, he is as capable as someone like Mustafi or Socrates of making a fuck up, but his ceiling is much, much higher than those two. Like, David Louise, when he is good, is still, for me, laugh if you like, one of the best centre-backs in the world. I've seen it. Mm. I saw him, and it's not just in a back three. There's lots of, oh, he can only play in a back three. Bollocks. The best football he ever played was in a back four with Thiago Silva, um, which doesn't mean he, he was good in a back three at Chelsea, but the, the underlying lesson there is not that David Luiz can only play in a back three. The underlying lesson is that David Luiz is brilliant when all the circumstances around him are brilliant. So if you put him in a balanced unit, David Luiz is an exceptional defender. But yes, he, he has flaws which which can which can really come out. And and I think that's why on balance you'd, you'd rather keep him. But, uh, you know, like I said, he's he's too old and we haven't had him long enough for it to be a disaster for him to go. And and the economy might, might dictate that. I, I guess my worry is that, you know, what then happens with Callum Chambers, who's not fit and Rob Holding who's not really come back 
to fitness and Socrates who's in his 30s and we don't really want a Mustafi like you know it puts a lot on Saliba put it that way and uh, I'm not sure that's that's a particularly comfortable situation not yet yeah it's tough right I I can't decide if all of this makes the stakes lower or the stakes higher for all of these young players I mean if there really is no spending they're going to get a lot of playing time and they're going to have time to develop. Does that make the stakes higher because more is resting on their shoulders or lower because because the expectations are lowered? I don't think fans are good at lowering expectations. So, you know, you can kind of guess where that goes. Uh, Clive, before we wrap up, I mean, do you have any thoughts on the Louise thing and maybe the the position Kira Jarabshin enjoys at the club currently? Yeah, I don't mind David Luiz. I, I quite liked. I quite liked his influence recently. I think he believes in the manager, and he's he's helping the manager's helping him. Can I ask you a question though, just, just real quick? Isn't it important? Sorry, because I, I think this gets to the crux of it, and I don't think you were going to hit this point. Isn't it really important though that we can more easily distinguish when Matteo Ganduzzi is on the pitch, which one is which? I mean, for that reason alone, isn't it? Isn't it? I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why I felt I had to interrupt. To, 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 I didn't even have a joke. I had an idea of a joke. I didn't even get there. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just, I I, I, th- I think I quite like his growing influence. I think he's becoming more positive. Uh, I don't mind him as a player, actually. I think we should keep him. But I do think we have too many average players back there. So I would, I would happily see Rob Holding go, whether it be on loan, to build up his price. Uh, Mustafi, yes, last year the contract, not going to get a new one, I don't think, so you need to go. Socrates, you need to go. Talon Chambers, not quite ready, though he's running, and you know, by the time the new new season starts, he could be positioned to play, but again, I think we've seen what he can do, whether we have someone like that around to just cover back four positions, but is that really fair to his career? He needs to play and and someone care about him as a, as a first pick at this age now. So we have a situation where we have, we said it before, we've got a number of three-star hotels back there, haven't we? And I think it's time to change. If we're going to, we've got Sleeper coming and he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. He has to be the new ref of Iran, otherwise we're going to hate him. And we're looking at another young player coming through. For me, we have to buy another young potential player that we can build I was thinking we do that if David Louis stays in the building. And if David Louis didn't stay in the building, we have to go for something a bit more established because we don't know much about Mary, assuming we're going to keep him. And we don't know enough about Saliba and he transitioned into the Premier League, though all of the press is incredibly positive about him. But, you know, we need to see him on grass in the Premier League. And so there's, there's a lot of unknowns. But I am all for ripping this to bits, as you know. Rip it to bits, reduce the rage bill, I can wait. I really can wait. We have to stop buying average players and overpaying them. Our numbers don't look good. We're not growing the value of our squad, not growing growing the value of our club. We're not standing for anything. We're trying to be, we're not set for one goal. We're trying to do too many things and our squad looks that way. So if you look at it, we've got a number of young players and we have the players in their peak years are not good enough. And then we have the players just coming out of their peak, like Louise, like Socrates, that are high on high money. And we've got a Bam Young in that space as well. And we've got a lot of doubts about some of the players in their peak years. So we have this group of promising players, but we don't have much beyond that that we can trust and buy into. So which way do we go? Do we layer more young players on? Or do we buy players in their peak years? Well, buying players in their peak years is not going to be cheap. And so we're in a bit of a combined. And this is why I think, I said for a while now, we've got to go young. 
We're going to go young and develop our players, develop an identity, develop Arsenal as a place where good, good young players can develop. With a young coach, season. it should be added, right? Yeah. Exactly, and I, I want to see us do that. I want to, I want to see us get to the quality. Okay, you can't always hit a Martinelli all the time, and we still got lots to prove, by the way. But we can all see it's going to be an exciting journey. We got the Saka journey to enjoy. We do. We've got a number of players now looking good. We got. I'm, I'm really interested to see what Kieran Tierney looks like. You know, I'm really interested to see what that player looks like and how he develops into the squad. Need some central midfield talent, youth talent, strong talent that we can build around. If you're going to spend, make it be in that area and then develop from there. But yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting journey. But I'm all for ripping it to bits and going again and not being afraid to rip the band-aid off and really develop a squad which looks right against the wage bill and, and something that we can all say, okay, now I know where we're going. We can all buy into. Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's just quickly, quickly touch on the game that will restart this, which is Manchester City. Tim, with a long layoff like this, a lot of rust, weird training circumstances, no crowd, do you think that this kind of situation is an equalizer between teams of differing talent, or do you think it is an exaggerator of the difference between teams of differing talent? And obviously in that question, what I'm asking you is, do you think we'll get shellacked by City? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, no, actually, I don't. I, I think it could be. So I think it could be a potential equaliser just because that. So it's a statement of fact to say Manchester City are better than us. But we're not um, like relegation. No hopers. We have some good players as well. We're not. We're not a million miles below Manchester City's level. We're below it, but we're like, you know, a step or two below. Not it. it it's not a David versus Goliath thing. It's just one one team with superb players against one team with a few good players. Um, I, I, I think basically um, my view is it can't hurt us um, effectively because th- this is a fixture where we've had so little joy over so many seasons now that I, I kind of, it feels like free swing territory to me. And, and basically if I think kind of the worst c- that can happen is just what always happens the, <laughs> that they beat us you know, in second or third gear by a couple of goals. Um, but I, I, I've got an inkling we'll give them a good game. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying we'll, we'll land, you know, we'll land a result or anything. And ultimately it will just, it will just depend on like, you know, the levels of motivation, the levels of preparation and all of that. And it, it's going to be pretty weird for everyone concerned, um, you know, particularly for Arteta to go back there. But in that scenario, like, you know, it's, it's all going to be very alien to everyone. But I, I don't think it can hurt. I, if, you know, if you ask me for a prediction right now, I'd say we'll lose by one goal, um, but we'll make a game of it, which, you know, and that's not I'm not saying that's a chipper or positive um, kind of like, like that's just honestly what I think. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think effectively it remains to be seen, but I don't think it will hurt our chances. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. None of us have experienced this. I guess the only analog would be preseason. And as we've all said, like you throw out preseason, you kind of ignore preseason. Um, I sometimes think that kids can come back and be good quickly because they just get to fitness levels really easily. When you're young, you're just always perma-fit. Whereas someone who's 30, 31, and is trying to play at peak level, takes them a few weeks to really knock the rust off and get their body going again. So, I mean, I, I think 
it might even benefit us to start Martinelli and Ganduzi and and Saka and Nelson and you know really have a go with some of the young kids. We saw it in our preseason against Real Madrid, right? In some of those games, our kids looked great early on. Willick, um, you know, but then the the real season pros get into get into their fitness levels and suddenly you see the gap. So maybe it would make sense to give the kids more of a chance and long term that's going to benefit us anyway. Um, I think we can leave it there. That's a long conversation with we're going to have to milk milk the return of football for a lot of episodes before the actual game. Games happen again. So, Clive, you, you, you content to leave it there? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I agree with you about the kids, by the way. I think that's, that is our advantage. We can really go in there. We play with something to prove. And I think, funny enough, I think we've got more to to gain than Man City have. What they got to gain? To wait for Liverpool's pie? And, um, yeah, they've got not a lot to play for. Look after their legs for next season. That's what they're thinking about. But we have got things to play for. We're still looking up in the table. So I fancy it's not to be beat anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. We'll try to return to more of a normal schedule as there's now going to be more, I think, regular football content to cover and we won't have to relive the 2010-11 season and talk about a documentary about, you know, um, penguins and the Arctic or anything like that. I mean, we can. That's what Patreon's there for. If you want to, if you want penguins in the Arctic, man, just sign up for Patreon. Hit us up with a tweet. We'll go do it. Uh, our, your wishes are command. But in any event, I hope you're staying safe. You're staying healthy. Uh, not too distressed by the scenes on the screens um, because they are heartbreaking. But you know, hopefully, 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 good things eventually come out of all this. Um, my name's Elliot Smith. Black man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We do love you. We do appreciate you joining us and staying with us through this uh, trying period. But the football is nearly back. Yay! We'll talk to you after Arsenal Ten, Manchester City News.